Today I'm going to talk about a topic that isn't the most popular topic, but it's a topic that desperately needs to be discussed, and it needs to be discussed from a right light, from a right standpoint, and that's the topic of correction. Now that can be a really difficult word if you've come from a background of dysfunctional correction, abuse, hurts, pains, religious manipulation, control, but it's an important word, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. And if we're going to become the family that God wants us to become, we have to talk about correction. We have to talk about it from a biblical standpoint that really sets the cultural norm and standard of how we do things at Rock City Church. There's a lot of people that are going to come here from really jacked up church backgrounds, home life backgrounds. They were abused. They made a lot of mistakes. There's people coming that are arrogant and prideful and their life's not working out for them and they have authority issues. There's all kinds of people that are gonna come to Rock City Church, and rightfully so. Those are people that I want to come because everybody needs healing and everybody needs a place where they can come and get healthy. But how we correct and love and instruct and guide and direct people is very, very important to me. And if we're gonna have a family that's God's way, then we have to do it his way. And there is a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And it's an important topic because we're growing and the Lord longs for a family. And in family, there's healthy correction. There has to be. So we're going to talk about that. In general, no one likes to be corrected, right? Unless you've submitted yourself to a process of growth, knowledge, and understanding. Let me give you an example. If you're going to learn a new career, you have to be instructed and corrected. If you're going to learn a new trade, Somebody has to teach you, and you have to learn the difference between right and wrong and the way to do things. If you're going to learn a new hobby, like I'm just dying to learn how to kiteboard. I think I'd be really good at it. I know how to wakeboard and windsurf, and I think I'd be great at it. But can you imagine if I just had a kite and a board and I went out on a windy, you know, 30-mile-an-hour day in Corpus Christi? It'd be a disaster. I'm telling you, I'd, I'd probably kill myself break something, or really hurt myself. And so I have to have somebody that teaches me and coaches me and guides me and directs me in how to do things the right way. Of course, jobs and hobbies and careers and all those things are understandable, but the most important thing that we have to be guided and directed and corrected in is our character and our spiritual life. What good is it if you make millions of dollars and you have the best career and you have the houses and the stuff and the cars, which none of that defines success, by the way and you're miserable on the inside, and your character's a mess. You can have all the money in the world and be miserable. Money is not the key to success or happiness. It's what goes on on the inside. And so we recognize and we realize that our spiritual life and our character is what matters the most. And as a father and a pastor and a shepherd building a family together, that's what we care about the most. Yes, we want you to be successful in a sense in the world's eyes, but the kingdom of God's success is different. And when you live with solid character and integrity, when you learn right from wrong spiritually and sound doctrine, when you become instructed, when you become fathered and shepherded, when you have a family backing you and surrounding you, then when those other things come, they're just icing on the cake. They're so much sweeter. And yes, the Lord delights in the prosperity of his children. But you can't measure prosperity and success based on the stuff you have. It's based on your heart and the spiritual life and the purpose and the calling that God's placed upon you. 
We all need correction. All of us do. And we all need refining in our lives, even me. Perfect isn't possible. Now, if you're a perfectionist, I just stabbed you right in the heart with a knife. Perfect is impossible. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you say it. But the truth is, is perfect is impossible. And living your life as a perfectionist often comes from a root of control, which often comes from self-preservation. And when you're trying to preserve yourself, when you're trying to control the situations, and you always want everything to be perfect, you're going to be really let down and disappointed most of your life. Now, does God want us to be perfect in the way we love one another? Yes. Does God want us to grow in perfection? You bet he does. But everybody's in a process and going to make mistakes, have shortcomings and failures, all which are designed to teach us. And if we respond properly, we realize that God's love and kindness, even in the midst of great failures and shortcomings, is always there and always propelling us to become who he wants us to become. My favorite thing about the Lord is how much he loves me even when I bombed and failed miserably. I mean, I've had so many times in my past where I didn't fall into sin. I did a double back dive with the perfect swan 10 right into the pool. And I bombed it miserably. But the Lord in his kindness and his love came right back at me. And I didn't understand how that night I could have a dream or a vision of his love, or how the next day God could show himself to me in a profound way and use me to actually speak into somebody's life because I didn't deserve it and earn it. And you understand that it's not about deserving and earning it. It's about the favor and the kindness and the love and the mercy that's upon your life. But if you live your life with this mentality of always trying to be perfect and always trying to measure up, you'll always be worried about what everyone else thinks. And you won't be authentic. And you won't be genuine. And you won't lift your hands in worship. And you'll always be judging and apathetic about what other people think about you or what they're doing. And God wants to break that out of our lives. Yes, we need to grow in our understanding and knowledge of how to live more like Jesus did. Of course we did. And that propels us to become more like him. But one of the greatest examples of that and signs of that is how we love one another. The way that we love and treat others is critical to the heartbeat of the Father and is a critical measuring tool of how we're doing spiritually. If you have hatred in your heart, if you're gossiping, backstabbing, if you're isolated, disjointed, always complaining, those are all pictures of an inward spiritual life inside of you that's not healthy. Part of loving others well comes out of correction and discipline. If we're really gonna love people well, then we can't be afraid to correct and even discipline. The problem is, is if you've come from dysfunctional religion where you were beat over the head by the Bible, whether people try to manipulate you and control you. See, the problem with most man-made westernized religion, Western American religion, is that it preaches and teaches uniformity, not unity. And uniformity says, I'm going to make you like me. And I don't want a church where everybody's the same. I want us to have a same heartbeat, but I want a body that is different and unique, that brings the multiple facets and expressions to the kingdom of God. And the only way that we can do that is to be unified by the Holy Spirit, not me trying to make you like me or vice versa. It means that each of you have a unique purpose and a unique call, and God deals with each of us uniquely. The root word for discipleship is discipline. You have to know that. 
And a true disciple disciplines themselves to what they're being taught as an apprentice. For example, a coach, a mentor, a leader, a mother, a father, and anything that we're going to learn or grow into, we have to be discipled, right? A boss, whatever it is. In a sense, I disciple people how to make coffee drinks and how to take care of a business, and I empower people, and so they're apprentices. And so all of us are in the process of being an apprentice and being discipled by someone or something. And the greatest person that teaches us and disciples us, of course, is the Lord. Proper correction looks like something from both the one receiving it and the one giving it. And we have to know what that looks like if we're going to do it the right way. On the receiver's end, we must find those that we love, trust, and can be submitted to, right? If we're going to receive correction, I love to receive correction from people that I'm submitted to in process, that I believe in, that I trust, and that I love. We have to be open. We have to be humble. And we have to swallow our pride at all times. And it doesn't mean that you automatically accept the correction or the rebuke that's given to you, but rather you listen, you consider, and you take it to the Lord in prayer. And of course, sometimes people are going to be overtly wrong, but the heartbeat is always to listen, to ponder, to consider, even if you're wrong, and say nicely, you know what, thank you for that, I'll take it to the Lord in prayer, or I'll consider what you've said. There's times that I've been corrected that hurt so bad by leaders, pastors, fathers, some that were for me and some that were against me, but they were still right in what they were saying. And I had to swallow my pride and not be defensive and say, you know what, I'll take it to the Lord in prayer. Do you know that any of you here could speak something into my life and if I'm not listening, even if I think your character's off or you're cray-cray, but I'm not listening. Because see, in the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey. God spoke through a sorcerer that was hired by the enemy to speak curses against Israel. And bam, the Holy Spirit hits him. And instead of the curse coming out, he starts speaking life. And can you imagine if I went all around this room and said, I can only listen to you if your life fully measures up? We're all in process. And thank God people listened to me when I was in process, Right? And so it's a process of God building character inside of you and us being willing to say, you know what, you may be wrong, but I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And if you are wrong, by the Holy Spirit, I will correct you or I'll determine to say, you know what, thank you for that. I'll pray about it or consider it. Have a nice day. Instead of getting offended, hurt, wounded, tearing them down or isolating yourself not to listen because that's what happens. If you're always watching people under the judgmental eye, if you're always living in self-preservation or control to not receive from others, where do you draw the line? Because God has a whole body full of people that could speak to you. God, a homeless person could walk up to you in the parking lot today and God overtakes him and he speaks a word to you. In fact, the Bible even says to entertain strangers because sometimes strangers are angels in disguise. So the premise is, is that you, you are spirit-led to listen, not be prideful, haughty, and arrogant, and to reject, even if people are wrong. I have a news flash for you. People will mistreat you. They're not going to understand you. They're going to judge you erroneously. They're going to think they know and understand your situation when they don't, and they're going to attempt to correct you when they're completely out in left field. It's going to happen. 
And you need to make a, a determination now to understand that sometimes people are going to try to figure you out, judge you, correct you, or come up in the name of the Lord and prophesy over you, and they're totally off and out in left field. But you never know if God's trying to work inside of them. Because you have freedom to fail when you speak to somebody's life. Sometimes you get a word and you're so sure it's the Lord, but you totally missed it. But God was in the process of, you, of teaching you to humble yourself and to take the chance. And I can't tell you how many times out of failure or missing it that God taught me something through it. What really matters is that we have a heart of love and preference and mutual submission towards one another. Spiritual humility and confidence in our identity in Christ does one of two things. It either A, accepts it, or B, rejects it. And when you're confident in who you are as a son and as a daughter, when you're confident in your identity and your position in Christ, you don't have to protect and defend yourself. And we have to stop living in a defensive mechanism posture. You know what? I might even miss it at times. And I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you something, but you have to take it and pray about it and take it before the Lord because the Lord is the ultimate one that confirms whether it's right or wrong, right? And that's a process of learning how to do that. It's a process of discovery, patience, love. When somebody says something to me or tries to correct me or speak into my life, instead of first trying to think what I'm going to respond with and speak back, I listen. And then I judge it by the Holy Spirit, not whether I think you're right or you're wrong or protecting and defending myself. That's why I've got to get you as a family led by the Holy Spirit. Because the answer here is not conforming to religion. I don't want, please, I do not want more churchgoers. I don't want you to be more religious. What I want you to do is become everything God wants you to become. I want you to hear God's voice. I want you to be spirit-led because that's the ultimate sign of maturity. But even being spirit-led looks like something. On the giver's end, if you're giving correction, you have to do it in love with the intent to build others up. The purpose is to break people out of shame, not put them in more shame. So our, our heartbeat is to build you up. I care about you. I want to see you become everything God wants you to become, not crush your spirit and make you to be more like me or to be what I think you should be. Correction can't be manipulative, selfish, ill-willed, formulized, or guided based on our own perceived ideas of what we think other people need. Because God deals with us individually. And yes, the Lord deals with all of his children in some similar fashions. But the way you learn to hear God's voice and the way you grow and discover his love is unique to you. And so I can't take my preconceived ideas of what I think you need and push it upon you. What I can do is hear the Holy Spirit for you and be a mouthpiece of the Lord and to speak his love and his correction, his guidance based on sound doctrine and the intent to build you up. Because our heart has to be for everybody. The hardest of the hardest, the drug addict, the prostitute, the alcoholic, the homeless person, the most smallest speck of dust in society in the Greek is called the macro. It means tiny, or Jesus used the word least. And as much as you love the least, I'm talking the most seemingly insignificant is as much as you love him. And where do you draw the line? 
You like this person, you don't like that person. And then we judge this person and not that person. And then we receive from this person and not from that person. And the point is, is that if we can be confident in who we are and love really well by the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit, now we're not defending, protecting, manipulating, and tearing other people down. Too many of us in this room have come from broken, jacked up church backgrounds. And you know what? More are gonna keep coming because when family's done right and there's healthy, a place of health, people will wanna come to it. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect either. And it doesn't mean that we have it all figured out either, but we're in discovery and process. And so everyone's unique. And though there are countless similarities with all of us in how the Father deals with us, he deals with each of you uniquely. And so we have to be spirit-led and full of life for each person individually. Everyone's unique. Correction is not about finding faults. The last thing I'm doing as a pastor is looking at you, trying to figure out how messed up you are. And if I'm preaching and I look you in the eyes, it's not because I'm trying to call you out. It's because one, it would be really odd if I preached like this all the time. And two, as a pastor and and a public speaker, I want to engage with you. And so I'm not trying to call you out, though chances are a lot of times I'm going to call you out and not even know it. Because if I'm preaching well and being spirit-led, I'm hitting everybody's heart like an archer. And that's what I want. Don't we all want to get a word from the Lord? I do too. And so oftentimes the Holy Spirit just takes over as I'm preaching what he tells me to preach. And we just let him do what he wants to do. And we take off our Sunday best and we take off our self-preservation mode and we say, you know what? I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to be corrected. I need to get into instruction. That's what family does. And that's what we're becoming is a family. And so we have to really deal with each other the way that the father deals with us. The father deals with us as a child, as his children, as sons and daughters, because he loves us, and that's the way that we deal with each other. I can't make my experience your experience. You have to get your own experience. I can tell you about them. I can use stories all day long of things that have happened in my life, and I have so many stories of how the Lord wanted to correct me in something, but because of pride and arrogance and haughtiness and self-preservation, I didn't listen. I remember one story when I first started playing congas and percussion in South Miami Beach, long before I came to know the Lord. And I was playing in a reggae band and a world-famous Latin percussionist that played with Tito Puente and Mongo Santa Maria and others that I really like in the Latin jazz percussion world showed up at the nightclub. And he saw the fire and the zeal and the energy and the excitement, but I was unskilled and didn't know how to play. I didn't know the proper rhythms. I didn't know how to play Afro-Latin-Cuban rhythms. I was just self-centered and let's just jam. And I didn't want to hear it. I was afraid of what my other bandmates would think. And I just rejected him. He said, you know what? Maybe another day. And it would be seven years later that I would learn those very rhythms that I could have learned seven years before. Have you ever done something for five, 10, 15 years or a few years or however long and you look back and you realize I haven't been doing it right? And you go... All this time, right? And if somebody would have just told me or helped me or corrected me or directed me, I wouldn't have wasted years of my life. I could have learned it sooner. And I want to tell you that the Lord is on a fast track with everybody's heart right now. And what may have taken me 10 years could take you one year. 
because he's rapidly raising up sons and daughters and a mighty army of lovers to reflect him, and he's doing it fast. And so, correction's not about finding faults. It's not about vengeance. If you're trying to get justice on somebody, oftentimes it's out of vengeance or anger or the wrong reasons. You're trying to get justice in your way. And when you realize, look, people are going to lie about you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to sue you. People are going to do things. Those things happen in this world, sadly. But it's not about us getting justice our way or vengeance. It's about God bringing justice his way through your life. And there's a right way that the Bible says to do it. There's a right way. And so justice comes from fruitfulness because justice is a result of being just. And so if you become a just person, what comes out of your life is justice. And you always want to see people live upright. That's what justice is. Justice is righting a wrong. And so if I do it from a place of being just, full of character and love and life, then when I come to talk with you, it's not because I want to tear you down or get revenge or make you to be like me, but rather because I've been just, now I want to help you to be just. And so if we we point things out in each other's life, it's because we love you and we care about you, not because we have any self-willed gain to get from you. I don't need more money. I don't need more people. What I want is people that love Jesus that will transform this city, culture, through healthy families. And the power of God, by the way. The power of God's got to be in there too. And so justice comes from being just. Being just comes from moral righteousness. And moral righteousness comes from discipleship and obedience. In fact, the Bible says that obedience leads to righteousness. But you have to have faith first. And some of us came from churches where it was obedience, obedience, and you're a sinner and hellfire and brimstone and what's the matter with you and I'm going to fix you and I'm going to correct you and I'm always thinking how to fix you. That's dysfunctional religion. Any of us ever been there? A lot of us. But that's not the way that God intended things to be. Instead, we first have faith because Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to know him or please him. For those who come to God must first believe. So if I hammer you with obedience and discipline, but you don't believe first and have faith first, we're going to get the cart before the horse. But first what happens is, is you get into process and then what happens is through obedience and discipline and knowing who you are, it leads to moral righteousness. You grow in the process of becoming more like him. That's really what that means. And that takes time. The Father corrects us through his spirit by conviction and self-realization. So the Holy Spirit convicts us and we're like, what was I ever thinking? And I have a self-realization that what I was doing was wrong. And that's how we should be loving and treating others. I don't have to put conviction on you. What I do is I love you really well, show you what the scripture says, and help you if you'll submit to the process and correct you if you'll allow it. But the best correction comes from self-realization. If I'm doing a really good job this morning, I'm making all of you really think. Hopefully all of your your wheels are really thinking about your life. And then you come to the place of self-realization. And my heartbeat for this morning is to get all of us into healthy process and to create a culture of honor where we're really loving and correcting each other as a family in the right way, okay?
So as earthly parents, we do the same with our children. So let's look at the scriptures regarding correction and being submitted to process in family, all right? Proverbs chapter three, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs three, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And here's the comparison. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, I know some of us here have come from very abusive situations. We didn't have healthy fathers. For me, my father left my mom and I when I was one, and I have no relationship with him to this day. But the Lord has become the dad that I never had. And where there was a void or where there was dysfunction on earth from a natural father, we can now get a heavenly father that will love you and treat you the right way. So don't let there be a disconnect when we talk about fathers. I know some of us have been through real dysfunctional situations, abandoned, abused, neglected, childhoods were robbed as children. But now when you get born again, you come back into the family that God always intended. And that's what God's building all over the world, right? And so don't despise the chastening of the Lord or detest his correction. He loves you. And because he loves you, he corrects you. Proverbs 10, 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. We have to get to the spot where we stop getting offended or preserving ourselves. And we've got to get healthy so that we can help others, but also allow our lives to receive instruction. And what happens is, is when we reject instruction and when we reject first God and the kingdom of God and one another, we find ourselves going astray and getting isolated. And God doesn't want that for you. That's why we need healthy family. I love this one, Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who, cre- who hates correction is... I'm not gonna even say it. Let me give you... How about is a blockhead? That's really what it means. How about hard-headed? Or a fool, that's right, all right. So the, the premise here is that Instruction, knowledge, and correction are all synonymous. They go together. So you can't gain knowledge without instruction or correction. So you learn and you grow when somebody's invested into you and you listen and teach both ways, like parents with their children, the right way. And in turn, what happens is, is you grow and you become, what's the opposite of stupid? You fill in the blank. Self, I'll let you self-realize, Okay. Proverbs 13, 8, poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. You know what it means to disdain something? To disdain something means I have no respect, therefore I reject. And one of the greatest areas today where there's been a rejecting, where there's been no consideration has been towards pastors, towards churches. I mean, the regard towards pastors in this day and age, I tell people I'm pastor, like, so what? Could care less because pastors have become, unfortunately, a dime a dozen, haven't paid the price, haven't really labored and fought and grown and matured. They got a whiff of the spirit and the Holy Ghost. And next thing you know, they're starting their own little thing instead of learning and growing and being a son and then learning what it means to be a father. We don't need more pastors. We need more fathers. And so 
If you don't have respect for the Lord, for the church, for pastors, for God's kingdom government and leaderships, what will you do? You'll disdain it and you'll reject it. And that's not healthy. And I'm sorry if so much of the Western Americanized church is dysfunctional, but you know what? It's not all dysfunctional. There's pastors in this city that I love that I know have the right heartbeat. And there's people all over the world that really love Jesus, that are serious and authentic and will really love you well. And at some point you submit to the process and you recognize and realize if you're looking for the perfect church, just show up and it'll be imperfect. Is it possible to receive correction from someone that you disdain? Is it possible? Yeah, but it's difficult. If you don't like somebody, I mean, I won't even go down politics, but if you don't like somebody, you can instantly write them off and not want to hear anything they have to say. We mustn't allow personalities, styles, and preferences, and even character issues in someone's life, someone's life to cause a disregarding in our own. Notice the word here. There's, there's no regard. Proverbs 13.8 says, he who regards a rebuke. And the understanding of regard means to pay attention, heed, and consider. And so the premise is, I'll go back to what I said earlier. If I did a fruit inspection of all of your lives and I found some character faults and issues inside of you, does it mean that you can't speak a word of truth and wisdom into my life? The answer is no. And the premise is, is we're submitted to each other. You can even speak a word into my life and I'll pray about it and I'll consider it. And if the Holy Spirit leads me and you're completely out in the field, I'll say, listen, bro, that's not in the Bible and you're totally off base, but I appreciate you taking the time to try to say something to me. Or how about if somebody comes up to me and gives me a word and it's straight from the throne room of heaven and I don't like it? Because sometimes the Lord will tell us things we don't like, won't he? Like, hey, that relationship, it's not of me. And you know it, you need to let go of it. Or that situation, no. Or you know what? That big paying job I know you really want to take, no. It's not my best for you. Or moving to that city, no. I still got a plan for you in Corpus. I just go down the list of how many times the Lord can tell you something you don't like to hear. And so what I've learned to do is, and even if I think you're wrong, you know what I've learned to do? I listen, I absorb, and then I take it to the Lord in prayer. And sometimes the Holy Spirit right off the bat will say, it's wrong. And sometimes I'll even tell you I think it's wrong. And there's times that I've said to somebody I think it's wrong, and I've gone home, and the Lord has convicted me and said, you know what, they were right. So I've learned, instead of just being so quick to defend and protect and preserve myself, I've learned to just say, you know what, thank you. I'll consider that. Have an awesome day. And so... We have to first listen to the Holy Spirit as there's always something to learn and grow from in every experience. And sometimes God speaks in ways you least expected or you weren't even looking for. And what happens is, is if you're living with a judgmental, uh, uh, self-preservation, defensive mentality, God could be wanting to show you things and speak to you all the time, but you're missing it. You could walk into HEB today and God uses a situation or a circumstance. But if I'm always in a judgmental position, instead of being spiritual, see the Bible says the spiritual judges all things that are spiritual. And spiritual judging looks much different than worldly, earthly judging. Now I'm looking with spiritual eyes. God, what do you want to say? See that person over there that's stumbling around? I want you to go over there and prophesy over them and I want you to go tell them Jesus 
But God, they're so drunk. I mean, man, look at them. They're so messed up and jacked up. That's, they're not even going to hear what I have to say. And you could miss God big time. See, I'm trying to teach you to be spiritual. And I'm trying to teach you what it means to have God's eyesight, not your own. So stick around for the rest of your life and we'll get there, all right? Okay. So I'm not giving people a pass who live their lives in error to God's word. I'm not giving you a pass. But what I am saying is that God can speak through even misguided people and those with character issues in their lives. And, and if you're spirit-led, you're going to know whether it is or it isn't, and you're going to know how to respond, and you're going to know how to love really well. We have to learn to listen and regard, especially from those we love and trust, and to not have disdain for anyone. You can't show me in a, in where we're supposed to have disdain. What you can show me is the fruit of the Spirit and how we're supposed to love. The Bible actually teaches that if we aren't corrected by God himself, then we're not actually sons and daughters. We're illegitimate. You know what it means to be illegitimate? That's such a tough word, but I need to tell it to you because it's so relevant. The word illegitimate means to be unlawful or not legal, but a better way to say it is to be like an actor in a production. Illegitimate means I'm just pretending. Who wants more pretentious Christians? Anybody? Who wants authentic sons and daughters that are confident in who they are and can love really well even in the midst of process of brokenness? All of us. And so legitimate children are disciplined by the Lord. And so every now and then I like to read from the Message Bible. I don't do it a lot because I don't read the Message Bible most of the time. But every now and then I really like the way the Message Bible breaks something down because it's so relevant in modern day terms. I grew up reading other versions of the Bible, which I read most of the time, even today, because I like the Greek and the Hebrew, and I like to break it down, and I grew up with that. But every now and then, I like to read the Message Bible. And so I'm going to read to you a passage from the Message Bible in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Now, Paul is talking about overcoming sin and how, how God has a purpose and a plan in how he corrects us, and it's ultimately to make us holy like him. All right? That's the context. So let's read it together. Hebrews 12, verse 4 through 11. In this all-out match against sin, I love that because some of you are in an all-out match against sin, right? I, under, I get it. You know, addictions and pornography and fear and worry and doubt, all these things are, are plaguing our society. Anger, hurts, pain, self-preservation, isolation, temper tantrums. I mean, there's a ton of things, right? So we're in an all-out match against sin. Others have suffered far worse than you. Others have. Especially Jesus, a paraphrase, to say nothing about what Jesus went through. So the Bible says no one's even suffered bloodshed against sin like Jesus did. So if you think you've got a tough in overcoming that hang up, Jesus went all the way to the cross and shed his blood for you. He had to resist like no one ever resisted. So don't feel sorry for yourself. We don't need any more pity parties. How about if we just say, you know what? I made mistakes. I'm struggling. I'm really going through a difficult time. I need someone to coach me, help me, disciple me, pray for me, love me, fight with me, and war with me. I don't need anybody to kick me while I'm down. I don't need anybody to erroneously judge me. What I want is a culture of love and people that I can openly say, listen, I am just struggling in an all-out war against sin. And I need somebody to pray for me and comfort me and help me. 
We got to come out of our victim mentality and pity parties. We all had to overcome something. So let's just get in a process. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children? I love this. It's like, everything's about family. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat their children? Good parents, by the way, treat their children. And that God regards you as his children. We, I changed up the song list today to sing Good, Good Father. I'm like, you know what? That really fits today because he is a good, good father. And if you don't know how the Lord deals with you in the midst of sin, if you don't know how much the Lord longs, and it's sin, the wages of sin kill you. Sin kills you. But God in his love and his life and his mercy rescues you. Sin is what isolates you, but God's always standing with open arms to draw you back in if you'll let him. Always. Sin and the devil will lie to you to put you in shame and keep you hid out and say, you know what? You can't go around those Christians because all they're going to do is judge you and it's not healthy. And if they really knew who you were, you, they wouldn't like you. So how about if I just say, I really know who most of the people are and we love you. Come on in with all the stuff and let's get you healthy because I was once, I gave my life to Jesus totally jacked up. I said this last week, I probably slept with someone the night before, I probably got high the morning of, and I probably had a big doobie waiting for me that night. And Jesus rocked me, he rescued me, he set me free in the midst of it. Yeah. My children, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces he also corrects. God is doing what? He's educating you. And that's why you must never drop out. Please don't give up. Stay the course. Don't get offended by what other people say and do. They're going to do things to offend you. You're going to have every opportunity to get offended. But in a culture of honor and a culture of love where there's family and this type of teachings being taught, you can embrace the process and come into alignment with what God has for you and get trained. That's why you can never give up. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. God doesn't leave you to fend for yourself. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. I wanna, I wanna pause on that for a second. Even abusive, dysfunctional, hurting, the worst of the worst parents probably in their mind thought they were doing the right thing or what's best, even though it's wrong. Some knew, and I'm not giving them all a pass. The point I'm trying to make for you is this. My dad abandoned me, doesn't want anything to do with me. He orphaned me. He left me multimillionaire in California, and I've fully forgiven him. But the, dad, the Lord became the dad I never had. And so when my dad failed me and rejected me and abandoned me and orphaned me, or if your dad abused you, robbed you, stole from you, hurt you, you, if you came out of complete religious family dysfunction where your parents were ultra-religious in the name of God and all it made you want to do was run, the heavenly father is the dad you never had. Yeah. Notice the scripture. Amen. 
They, that's why Jesus is hanging on the cross. They people thought they were doing what's best in ripping out his beard and sticking thorns in his head, didn't they? And what did Jesus say? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That's why we can't let past hangups hold you back. You can't be a scorned lover because you were divorced and your ex cheated on you multiple times. It happens. I went through it myself. You can't say I'm never going to love again because somebody hurt you. All right, I'm talking to somebody. Know that I really love you. I know that's for somebody. So God's doing what's best for us, training us to live God's holy best. Check this out. At the time, discipline isn't much fun, is it? Being disciplined can really hurt. And it always feels like it's going against the grain. I can't tell you how many times I've been rebuked by fathers and leaders, even ones that I didn't really like very much, but they were right. And I, man, I tossed and turned all night long. When Prophet Kevin first came to town, he made a lot of people lose sleep at night, <laughs> including me. Because when a real prophet comes, he corrects you. A real prophet is a corrector. And if you're, that's why a lot of people don't like the prophets or Prophet Kevin. Because he doesn't mince his words. He's not out to fluff you up and be nice. He's out to set you on a course that's biblical and correct you. And if I didn't have prophets and fathers and mentors in my life, I wouldn't be the man I am today. So we need fathers desperately, desperately. So check out this last part of the scripture. Later, of course, discipline hurts, but later, everybody say later. Later. Of course, it pays off handsomely for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So you know what you're saying is a well-trained man, but not without a lot of hurts, failures, pains, and overcoming. So how are we corrected? How are we corrected? When you first give your life to Jesus and you're born again, your first way of instruction or correction and knowledge and insight comes through discipleship. So when you get, give your life to Jesus for the first time, you don't instantly get a matrix download. It's not like, pada, I got it, matrix. The bullets freeze in the air. I am superpower, Christian. You don't get that immediately. You don't get a download of God's word through the audio Bible. You can't inject it in your veins. You don't have an immediate, I know, the voice of the Lord. So how do new believers discover and find out the right way to live is through discipleship. They learn through people teaching them. I had to have people in my life teach me, and that's why every Sunday morning we have the Cultivate class. It's like a Sunday school class. And it's not for fun. We don't need to be a busier church. We don't have women's ministry and men's ministry, and we don't do all that we do to just be busy. We're doing it to create sons and daughters and teach people how to live their lives upright. That's why we do what we do. The next way that God corrects us is through his written word. You have to learn the Bible. You can't just go off a revelation or solely wanting to hear God's voice and not reading the Bible because the Bible gives you sound doctrine and makes you solid in what you hear and what you know so you don't get off track. You have to read your Bible then through conviction of the Holy Spirit. So then the Holy Spirit goes to work through convicting you. And when you get so convicted, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I know that wasn't right. You learn through conviction of the Holy Spirit. The next way that you get corrected is trial and error. And I mean failures. I'm talking about failures in life circumstances. And then repeat. That's kind of how it goes. And hopefully, 
as you grow in hearing God's voice and reading the word and other people speaking into you, you have less and less failures, right? So I had a lot of failures early on. I was learning to walk and talk. I was growing spiritually. Thank God I had people that loved me through the process and encouraged me to keep going instead of tearing me down. You know, if a stripper walks in here right now, right from the strip club with their bra hanging out and their, you know, mini skirt is really short. Can you imagine we're like, oh man, you can't be here dressed like that. What's the matter with you? That's all that they know. And you're gonna try to fix them right off the bat when they walk in. I hang around outlaw bikers a lot because I lead a ministry called the Tribe of Judah. It's a motorcycle ministry to outlaw bikers. And they cuss and many of them mock God and all those things. And sometimes they'll say to me, oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to say that. Or I, they felt a conviction from me, so they want to change their language. And I said, listen, you don't have to change because of me. Don't change your verbiage and your life just because of me. Change because you want to live differently. That stuff doesn't offend me. I want the best for you. And if everybody felt that they had to conform because they were around the religious Christian, we'd have a problem. And they love that about me. Now, when my kids are around, that's a different story. So I've learned whenever I get on the phone, I just tell them right off the bat, I have children with me. They're like, okay. Because I tell them, don't be dropping the F-bomb when my kids are around. (laughs) And they respect that. So hopefully you realize and learn over time that the Lord is patient, merciful, and kind. You know, my most favorite thing, again, is how much he loves me even when I bombed it. He's merciful. He's kind. He's a good father. I don't want... I don't want to crush my child when they mess up. I have to discipline them, yes, because they're my son and I have to teach them. Pulling hair, biting, lying, kicking, all of those things aren't right. They're not healthy and you need to get born again. Now, they don't understand that at three, but at some point they're going to get it, right? Five, six, seven. I'm going to finish now. But I'm going to leave you with a couple very important scriptures before you go today, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture, everybody say all scripture, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. You know what the word inspiration means? If you look it up in the Greek, it means God breathed. And when you're hearing the voice of the Lord and your ears are open, guess what you get? Inspired. And you know what you, when you get inspired, you know what you do? You write, you create, you dream big instead of living a religious conformed lifestyle. That's why I can't emphasize enough getting in the secret place, get disciplined, and go sit with the Lord by the water, turn your phone off, put some worship music on Pandora, get your coffee, and dial it down to get in the presence of the Lord. You can't keep living off a Sunday morning once or twice a month. But you can keep coming till you get it, all right? Keep coming till you get it. So what happens Inspiration from the scripture is profitable. It profits you for something. And it profits you for solid biblical doctrine. Right after, I remember not long after I gave my life to the Lord, there was this weird thing going on with some young adults at my church that thought the best way for them to get healed of sexual dysfunction from their childhood was to embrace sexual issues and things head on. And that meant being sexual even out of marriage. And they did it in the name of God to bring healing to their past. Not biblical, not doctrinal, not healthy. And so understand, and I can give you a thousand stories. See, doctrine is important 
Because doctrine brings understanding of what's true. So if somebody gets off base, we have solid doctrine not to destroy people or hit you over the head with my Bible, but to coach you and train you of what God's biblical standard is. Doctrine brings information and knowledge of who God is, but it also puts you in a position to hear God's voice. Because if you have bad doctrine, you're not going to hear God's voice. But if you have solid doctrine in your life, God breathes upon it and speaks to you. If anybody here is saying, I wish I could hear God's voice in my life, get into the word, spend time with him, get healthy doctrine in your life, and allow yourself to be aligned and corrected to what God has for you. And then you can teach it to others. If you don't have healthy doctrine, how are you ever going to teach somebody else? Reproof means proving what's right and acceptable, which leads to conviction. You know how you get conviction in your life? You get convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. And when I get convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt in what's right and what's wrong by the Holy Spirit, when I do something wrong, I'm convicted. And then God brings me right back in. So you got to get convinced. Correction. I like this. I wrote this definition down of correction. Making a crooked path straight. Putting us in order and proper alignment. Instruction in righteousness is training and education. And God's word thoroughly equips you and makes you, I love this word, he completes me. Right? He completes you. Better than a lover, better than money, better than the stuff of this world, the Lord completes you. And I'll leave you with this last scripture. This might be the most important scripture I'll preach all morning. If you get any one thing that I said today, please catch this scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. In the world and in our society and in Corpus Christi, there's a fatherlessness issue. Yeah. I would tie all the crime, all the dysfunction in our society all the inmates to jail, I would personally tie it all to fatherlessness. I believe most of the dysfunction we see in our societies due to the lack of real fathers. But guess what? It's in the church too. And we have a fatherlessness crisis in the church. That's why people are disoriented. That's why they leave. That's why they reject. And I don't want to create that culture here. I want a culture of mamas and papas and sons and daughters I want you to father and mother people, and I want you to be a son and a daughter. You can't have one without the other. So let me break a few thing, fun things down in this scripture. True fathers can be imitated and set the examples for others to follow. Notice that Paul said, imitate me. That doesn't mean uniformity. It means unity by the Holy Spirit, okay? So we have to have people to look up to as examples, right? I don't know if you saw during worship today, but my three-year-old came up. And he, he watches me close. And so when I start tapping my foot, he starts tapping his foot. And I, now, because he's come up enough, I just, I do a head nod and he grabs the shakers, right? And then he starts beating on the drum and he's totally off beat. So I just lift the microphone so you can't hear it. Now you might've heard it, but my son has to learn by example and following so that I can coach him. Now he doesn't have to be a percussionist, but he's attracted to it. If he wants to, great. If he doesn't want to, great. I'm not going to try to make a mini-me. But if he wants to learn, I'm going to show him how. Amen. Tap your foot with the beat 
See, some of you think that you can't learn something new or you're not musical. You know what? A lot of times it's just because you've not been taught. If you learn harmonies, if you learn patterns, if you learn rhythms, if you learn notes, trust me, if you sit with me with a djembe and a tambourine, I can probably teach you a basic rhythm because it's counting. There actually are rhythms and formulas to music. And sometimes you just need somebody to teach you. So true fathers can be imitated. Set the example. How about this one? Go back to verse 14. True fathers never bring shame on others, but rather they break off shame. Right? So Paul says, I didn't write this to shame you. I'm not teaching you about correct correction this morning to shame you. I'm teaching it because I love you and care about you. Yeah. Right? And so true fathers warn. Bring that verse back up, verse 14. You know what it means to warn? It means to caution, correct, protect, and direct. And you don't have a real father if somebody's not really speaking in your life and saying, you know what? Let me inspect some of the fruit in your life. You've submitted to the process. I love you. I care about you. How are you really? What have you been doing on that Friday night when I don't hear from you and I'm seeing those, some of those posts on Facebook? You've said to me, you're crying out in desperation for more of the Lord, but yet you're living your life unhealthy. Can I lovingly correct you? Sleeping around is going to kill you. I care about, I know, I know, I just, you know what, how about if I help you? How about if, if we come into some healthy accountability and just know that I'm here for you and I love you and I care about you? That's what true fathers do, they warn you, but you have to allow yourself to be warned. Yeah, good. True fathers beget, this is the last thing. Go to verse 15. I really like this word beget. I've taught on this word before. The word beget is verse 15. Let's read it again. For though you may have 10,000 instructors, you know what? We don't need more instructors. We need more fathers. And it doesn't mean you don't need instructors. There's a ton of them. But you know what there's missing? And one of the best realizations you can ever get is when you say, I haven't been fathered or I haven't been fathered correctly. Now, I can't father every one of you personally, but I can shepherd and father the church. And then I can create a culture where we're all shepherding and fathering each other as a family. See how that works? So God doesn't want, it's not that we need more instructors, we need fathers. But notice this, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. The word to beget is a very powerful word. It means to reproduce and to cause to be born. It means we're making sons and daughters. It's also where we get the word to be born again. So my heartbeat is to see people get born again, to get into the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict them, to be discipled, to become sons and daughters, not to just have another big church with a lot more people. I want to see a family raised up because family will be the number one thing that sets the example of God's love in this community. When people look and say, man, what is it about Rock City? They love well. They reflect well. They're active in the community. They care well. Every time I come, I feel so loved and cared for, and the presence of God is there every time. And it can't all hinge on one leader. It hinges on, hinges on family. Let's all stand.